Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us acceptable in the Beloved. Very powerful verse, but it's still not translated enough to bring out the richness of who we are in Christ. This word, accepted, is actually the word highly favored. Only used one other time in the Bible, and that's of Mary, when the angel spoke to her and said, you are highly favored. So turn to the person next to you and say, I am blessed and highly favored. Well, it's nice to be here in this Anglican service today. Actually, it's far more than that. You are highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. Now say that to the person next to you. I'm highly favored. I am greatly blessed. And I am deeply loved. In the beloved. I'm going to talk to you about that today, accepted in the beloved. And I want to go to an Old Testament story that I believe was in Paul's mind when he described the blessings that come to us for the sake of Jesus. The Old Testament story is of a relationship between two men in covenant commitment to each other in the kingdom of God, and uh, David and Jonathan, and Jonathan's descendants and Jonathan himself were blessed because of that covenant. And in the same way that Jonathan and his descendants were blessed because of that covenant, so you and I are blessed because of the covenant that God has given to us in Jesus. So, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, the story goes over many chapters, and I won't be able to read them all, but I'm going to give you the highlights. And here's, here's one of them. This is the starting point for our story today, 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. Now, David said, Is there anyone still who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now here is David at a very high spot, a high point in his kingship. He has been through so much in his life, right from those very early days as a young shepherd boy, somewhat rejected and, and forgotten about, the little boy who looks after the sheep there on the fields just outside of Bethlehem. God's hand was upon him. He learned to worship God in the secret places. And God prophesied over his life that he would be the king of Israel, that he would shepherd God's people. He became a man of war, having to go around and to deal with the enemies that surrounded the people of God at that time. And he comes to the point where his kingdom has been firmly established. 
And he's sitting in his palace, and he's enjoying all the blessings of God. And I kind of guess it was one day he sat down and looked around at everything, saw all that God had done for him, and he said, hasn't God been good to me? Hasn't God been gracious to me? The Bible speaks about the sure mercies of David. In other words, God had showered blessing upon blessing. This obscure shepherd boy was now the ruler, and he was the king, and he was a man after God's own heart, and the blessings were everywhere, peace and security, prosperity, popularity, every single thing that any human individual could ever wish for. And then he turns around and he says, thank you, God. This is your doing. I wonder if you actually realize that you are sitting in the same position. You say, well, I'm, I'm not a king. I tell you something, you are more than that. You are more than a conqueror. You are a royal king. You are a royal son and daughter of the king. And you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and heavenly places in Christ Jesus, activated by the Holy Spirit, God's tender mercies, God's goodness, God's kindness, God's love, God's provision in every situation, circumstance, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, economically, in every single way, God has blessed you. Amen. Just begin a moment and say, Jesus, thank you because you have been good to me. I lack no good thing because you are wonderful to me. And even if there's some issues, issues in my life, issues that require some tissues in my life, it makes no difference because I know who I am. I know where I am and I know what I have because I have been blessed and I am blessed in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. So... Now, this is what grace does to you. Grace makes you happy. Grace makes you excited. Grace fills you with gratitude. And the overflow of grace begins to work, just as it did for David. David said, wow, God has been so good to me. I just feel like blessing somebody today. Who am I going to bless? And he began to think Throughout all the story of when he was that, the, the, the big, I was going to say dragon slayer, but that's not the exact accurate thing, is it? He was the giant slayer. The giant slayer of Israel when all the armies of Israel were terrified, including the then king Saul. Nobody would go out and fight Goliath. And the Spirit of God came upon this young shepherd boy. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Not politically correct language, but he's under the anointing of God, so we can excuse him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? And he went out single-handed, armed just with a shepherd's sling. The God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the God who delivered me from the paw of the bear, that God will deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. And I tell you, I come to you not with javelin, not with sword, but I come against you in the mighty name of the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. What an anointing. What a victory. And at that time, somebody who witnessed all of this had something happen inside him. His name was Jonathan. He was the prince of the kingdom, 
the son of Saul. And if you have a look in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we actually read, 1 Samuel chapter 18, I beg your pardon, we actually read of what happened there. 1 Samuel 18 verses 1 to 4. So you have your electronic Bible, yes. You have your paper Bible, remember paper? Amen. And you have also it all behind you. Don't stop bringing your own Bible to the meetings. There's nothing like having your own Bible. It doesn't smell the same. Okay, all right. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 4. Straight after this victory, and David speaks about it, and it says, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. We cannot underestimate this amazing, God-given, kingdom-orientated relationship that was born that day. It was a relationship that was totally submitted to the purpose of God and kingdom of God. It was a covenantal relationship in which under the hand of God and in the purposes of God, a friendship was given by God for the furtherance of God's purposes on the earth. A very strong passage, similar to the story of Ruth and Naomi. And here we have two very strong relationships which were between members of the same sex. And, and remember, Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And, and when Naomi, Ruth actually finally found her husband and married Boaz, then we know that as a result of that, there was a, a, the messianic line was preserved and we have Obed and we have Jesse and we have David. So maybe it was in this rich family heritage that caused David to prize friendship, God-given friendship. And here in this church, we prize that as well in our cell group structure where we gather together in small groups of groups of however, whatever size they are. We encourage also these friendship groups, the Peter, James, and John, the groups of three, where we can develop Holy Spirit relationships in a, in a way that is deep and significant and that God's purposes can work in our lives. I want to just say, however, that make no mistake about it, this was nothing whatsoever to do with homosexual relationships, just in case, all right? I know we're living in a generation where gay marriage is on the agenda and passed the first reading in the House of Commons, but this has nothing whatsoever to do with homosexual relationships. It shows today that we can have good positive male-to-male, female-to-female relationships which are godly and pure, do not take the place of marriage and are no substitute for marriage and are not sexualized in any way. Thank God for the purity of the Bible. Let's give God a praise over that. 
So a relationship developed that day. My soul was knit together with David. That's what Jonathan would say. And the word for soul is another word for life or even self. In other words, what they were saying was that from now onwards, we are going to work together. We are joined together in the purposes of God for very specific God-given purposes. And there are boundaries around those purposes. The boundaries around that relationship are very clear. But nevertheless, in one way or another, they were saying our destiny now is linked. And I'm just thinking of another relationship. Relationship between God the Father and God the Son brought together and expressed in the wonderful spirit of love, God the Holy Spirit. We have no idea how much the Father loves the Son. No idea what it cost the Father to send the Son into the world because of a love that the Father had for every single one of us. The fact that God would not spare his only son but delivered him up for us all is the guarantee that God also along with him, with Christ, in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, and for the sake of Christ, will freely, freely give us all things. We have no understanding of that. We begin to understand that God loves us. Amen? We know that God so loved the world that he gave his son. So God loved us and found a way that we could be restored to him. And so no longer being under the curse, we'd be under the blessing. Jesus took our place and carried the curse that we might be blessed. That's why you don't have to struggle or strive in order to be blessed. You just have to sit down and enjoy the blessing of God. And focus on the goodness of God and focus on the blessing of God. And when you set your focus right... Everything else falls into line. Amen. For we all with open unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being changed from glory to glory. That's the life transforming experience of keeping your eyes on the right thing. On the right one. And his name is Jesus. And so here we have the story of how the anointing of God hit David's life, and that changed everything. It changed the whole natural order. At this time, kingship was relatively new, in fact, brand new in Israel. And uh, there was a possibility that the kingdom would be developed along the lines of the nations, with the kings being uh, despotic rulers, such that if one king dies and another king bids for the throne, then all the family and relatives of the previous king are destroyed, killed, removed. I'm not saying that politics has changed a very great deal over the years. We can imagine what it might have meant, though, back in those days. And uh, however, because Jonathan, who was arguably the heir to the throne, He saw the anointing on David, and it was a contrast. His own father, now the anointing for kingship, had left him. He was still the official ruler, but he was yesterday's man. And it must have taken a great act of God for Jonathan not to sit and think, you know, the old man, 
He's lost his edge. Saul isn't going to be around very much longer. Sooner or later, I hope sooner, he's going to go out and do something foolish on battle. And I, I shall be king. But you see, Jonathan was a man of the spirit. He understood that God's authority is not just resting in official positions with all the trappings of power. He knew that God's man would be the man upon whom God's spirit rested. And I'm quite sure that when Jonathan saw the anointing on David, he said to himself, you're going to be king. This is the man who's going to be king. This is God's purpose. I want to tell you something. The anointing of God in your life will make a way when there's no other way. No other way. It's not about who you are, as it were, just in terms of earthly recognition. It's who you are before God that counts. And I don't know where you are now, what your situation and your circumstances are in. And you might look at your future, humanly speaking, and say, there's not much hope for me. Well, let me remind you of a little shepherd boy by the name of David, a little red-haired shepherd boy who was rejected, neglected, ostracized, forgotten, bypassed, overlooked. But God saw him. God saw him playing his harp, worshiping. God saw him with his courage and faithfulness to the small things. He didn't run away when the lion came. He didn't run away when the bear came. He said, I am going to look after the sheep that God has given to me. That's how he saw it. And God found in him a man after his own heart. Amen. And he said, here is a man that I can use. Here is somebody who can rise and who knows but that God is not looking at you today in exactly the same way. He sees you in your office and you say, what am I doing here? D duplicate, triplicate, filing. You don't do any, any, there's no paper in your office, is there? We too have a paperless office. It's official. I don't know what I do with the pile of paper on my table, which doesn't exist. But it's all about computing, computing. But you might think you have a relatively uninteresting relatively dead-end job, but God is watching you, and He sees something that other people don't see. And when that anointing strikes your life, you will be lifted up to do what you never thought you could ever do. And there was a promise involved over there, a prophecy, in fact. Don't miss any sun Sunday evening here. Prophecy is flowing. We are activating the prophets. And I tell you, there's going to be amazing prophetic revelation growing. And the evening services where we have time to, to deliver these things uh, and, and prophecy over your life can activate God's purposes. Because Samuel the prophet said, you will shepherd my people Israel, says the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit anointing and the prophetic word of God came together. And there was a whole lot of time difference between the time lag, there's a big time lag from the moment that he received that prophecy and when he became king. And in between that, there was so much working and proving and testing. And this might witness to you as well. You said, you know, I know people don't know who I am. I know who I am. I'm anointed. I'm appointed. I shall never be disappointed because God is with me. And your friends say, huh? Huh? What are you talking about? 
You're working as a secretary. You're working in that back-end job. No, no, no. You don't know there's a destiny over my life. There's a purpose over my life. There's a prophecy over my life. God has spoken over me. And they say, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, tell us another one. Delusions of grandeur. Maybe a few uh, prescription, a prescription will help you settle down a little bit. I'll tell you, it's not a prescription of medicine that will deal with this. It is the prescription of God. He has his own medicine. Amen and amen. And so, I want to say to you, listen, the anointing makes the difference. Amen? But so do you. How you respond to your tests. How you are patient and don't try to go and work things out your own way. So look to God, depend on Him, and He will break you out of every confinement. Amen. Some people say, Do you know, I know everything always goes wrong for me. People always seem to be rejecting me. Oh, yes. Tell me more. Yeah, you know, in fact, I'm so frightened of being rejected that I don't do anything anymore. I would never even join a cell in case they say, oh, we don't want the likes of you here. Oh, I'd never ever go to mastering leadership so I can be trained to be a leader. Leader me, <laughs> not me, never. Never, never, never. Because no sooner as I stand up there, they're going to criticize me. They're going to reject me. And there's a whole rejection thing going on. If anybody had an excuse to wallow in self-pity and become a self-fulfilling prophecy, in other words, your own statement over your own life, with your own wisdom rather than the revelation of God, it would have been David. When they had the party and the prophet was there, he wasn't even mentioned. All the other sons of Jesse, the big ones, the tall ones, the kind of muscular ones, and, and then he wasn't even invited. And, and, and uh, Samuel said, have you got any other sons? Because none of these are the anointed of God. What? Not number one, not number two. No, none of them. Well, oh, oh yes, there's the, there's the other one. Who's that? Bring him here. He wasn't even invited. He was rejected. And he wasn't even allowed to go to battle. The one who killed Goliath, oh, you're too young to fight. You, you, you just want to come and, and, and cause trouble. So one day, Jesse, David's father, said, okay, you can go to the battle. And David said, oh, hallelujah, now they can see how anointed I am. And he said, what are you talking about? You're taking sandwiches. <laughs> you're taking sandwiches. And his older brother said, what are you doing here? You've come, to, you've come to mock, you've come to watch the battle. What battle? There was no battle. They were marching up and down in their armor, holding their banners and shouting, but nothing was happening. But the anointing on David's life kicked in, and something happened that day. Amen and amen. Whether men or women reject you, even if your mother and father forsake you, God will never forsake you because he knows who you are. He knows who you are. He knows what is in his heart for you. He says, I have purposes for you for good and not for evil. Amen and amen. I have purposes to give you a future and a hope. And the blessing of the Lord that comes upon you, it makes rich. It prospers you. Now, don't just think of um, euros, yen, dollars, or Kenya shillings. <laughs> Prosper means that God's purpose flourishes in your life. And if that purpose is for you to be a wealthy person 
and give lots of money to Kensington Temple, then I say, so be it. So be it. But prosperity is measured in so many different ways. And, and here's the key thing. It makes rich and adds no sorrow. No sorrow to it. How amazing. And now David and Jonathan had this covenant, which meant that when David was beginning to be persecuted, Jonathan did everything he could. I counted five times when Saul attacked David with a view to kill him five times. It was all very well when David was the champion and then when they began to sing songs. Saul has slain in his thousands. David has slain in his ten thousands. The king said, uh -uh, no way. Listen, there is nothing that provokes more jealousy and persecution than the success that comes through the anointing of God. Because when they look at you, they say, you shouldn't be able to do that. And of course, you can't. You can't do it. You can't do what the anointing can do. It's God's Spirit on you. And, and time and time again, success, when it's blessed of God, produces more jealousy and persecution than any other thing on the planet. Every strongly anointed man or woman of God I know is persecuted because of that anointing. Because the enemy can't stand anointing. You see, the anointing destroys the enemy. Amen? It's the anointing of God that destroys the hand of the enemy. And so the, don't you ever join those accusers and those criticizers of men and women of God who carry the anointing. They're, they're, they're not above scrutiny. Of course not. Of course they need to be accountable. But remember, when you're judging them, make sure it's not the anointing that you're criticizing. Amen and amen. So zip it up. Okay. And, uh, but Saul was so jealous of this anointing, he tried to kill David five times, I counted in, in those chapters in Samuel. And Jonathan always intervened, always intervened, because he knew that David was going to be king. I'm pretty sure that um, David and Jonathan spoke about it. And you know, when you have a good friend, you can really open up, can't you? And I reckon David and Jonathan talked, and David said, you know, there was a time when the prophet Samuel came to our village, and he prophesied that I was going to be king. And because Jonathan was in the spirit, he didn't say, I'm going to report you, and you're going to be executed because this is treason. He said, this is God. Let's have a look at 1 Samuel 23, verse 17. And he, Jonathan, said to him, David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. That's a true friend. Somebody that isn't jealous. 
Somebody, even when the blessing on your life means that there's less room for him according to his natural human trajectory and his own, whether it's his business plan or career plan, he recognizes God and encourages him. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. My father Saul is not going to get you. Almost he's saying, I'm going to make sure of that. You're going to be king, and I'm right behind you. In fact, I'm going to be right next to you, supporting you. The friends like that are hard to find. If you find one, it's God. It's God. And you keep that friendship. And you develop that friendship for kingdom purposes, loyalty and commitment according to the plan of God. Friendship today in the world is very much, you know, I won't ever uh, tell on you. I won't ever talk about you. And you can do whatever you want. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there for you. That's, not, that's worldly friendship. Godly friendship says, hey, that's not right. Amen? Amen? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But encouragement and support is part of the plan and purpose of God. And so this covenant, as we see between David and Jonathan, is powerful. And ultimately, uh, uh, Jonathan warns David just at the right time to, to get out of there. And he was rescued and he was in exile for quite some time. But in that last meeting that they have, 1 Samuel 20, verse 14, that last meeting they had, we see how the covenant relationship extended not just to Jonathan, but to Jonathan's children and Jonathan's grandchildren. In other words, this covenant had implications across the generations. And I like that because it reminds us that the covenant we have is to us, our children, and our children's children, even to a thousand generations. Hallelujah. God is the God of the generations. The God of Abraham, generation one. The God of Isaac, generation two. And even the God of twisted old corkscrew, Jacob, generation three. And so the blessing of God and the covenant of God is to you, to your children, to those who are far off, to as many as the Lord will call. We are in a godly flow of blessing that transcends all natural and human limitations. And here is how it went. 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. Jonathan is speaking. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now, Jonathan again caused David to vow, because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. What does this mean? They know that it's only a matter of time when David will come to the throne. And normally and naturally, that would mean there'd be no place for Jonathan or any of the descendants of Saul. When Saul is out of the way, normally, in those days, all the political opponents would be put into prison or executed. 
course, that kind of thing still happens today, literally, in different countries, and also pretty literally, too, in some respects, <coughs> in our own nation. So what Jonathan is saying is, you're not only going to protect me when you come to your kingdom, but you're going to protect my family, and you're going to take care of the generations. Very, very important that we should notice that. And then they parted, and eventually the time comes when Saul is killed in battle, and the tragedy is Jonathan dies with his father and never comes into any of this blessing himself. But he does have children, and he has a son in particular whose name is Mephibosheth. He was a son of faith. By the way, if you can say Mephibosheth quickly, you're practically speaking in tongues. So congratulations. <laughs> Mephibosheth. The name means one who dispels shame. A scatterer of shame. And I can imagine Jonathan naming him this. Because it was like a prophecy. Not just a name, but it was a prophecy over his life. This is what you're going to do. You're going to scatter shame. And uh, the shame in particular is the shame of sin, the shame of rejection, and the shame of following idols. And so it was a statement of faith. And you know, when you name your children, think carefully. I mean, you know, you don't always have to follow the Nigerian testimony where it is, this is a child of God, blessed by God, this is a gift from God, this is a gift from God that shall prosper, this is a gift from God shall multiply, and I can't tell you what the Yoruba is for all of that, but I know one thing, it's a long, long name. How do you do it to your kids when they're signing their birth certificate or signing their, their documents? No wonder you, you shorten everything. It all comes down to Oluofemi, I think, something like that. But up until this point, Mephibosheth is not a dispeller of shame. He himself is subject to the most appalling shame, tragedy, rejection, isolation, and obscurity. How did that happen? Well, the news hit Jonathan's household that not only had Saul the king died, so now there's going to be a successor, and everybody knew it was David. Um, Jonathan had also died, and the household didn't know about the covenant. They had no idea about the covenant that existed. So ignorance of the covenant determined their attitude and behavior. Let me pause there. The covenant of God is so clear. Get to know it. Get to know what your rights are. Don't talk about your human rights. Oh, well, that's another level. But there are certain rights, which you may call human rights, that no human will ever give you. Amen. Get to know your divine rights in Christ. Get to know that there is a covenant that promises you healing, blessing, fullness, prosperity, joy, no fear, deliverance, provision. In every area of your life, that's the covenant of God. Get to know the covenant, and then that will determine your attitude and your reaction, and your behavior. But in the household, they panicked. 
They thought the soldiers are going to come. David is going to send his soldiers. He's going to kill everybody in this place to secure his kingdom. So let's get out of here. And the nurse picked up baby Mephibosheth, who was not, <coughs> not very big at the time, picked him up. And in her panic, she ran and dropped him. And as a result of that, whether it was damage to his legs or brain damage, we don't know. But he was permanently disabled and paralyzed from the waist down for the whole of his life. And the nurse rushed, took him, and sent him to a place called Lodabar. <coughs> I don't know if you know what that means, but let me just say it to you again in English, and you'll get it. Lodabar. Okay, that says enough. It means a place of no pasture. A place where nothing can grow, nothing can be fruitful, nothing can prosper, and where nobody wants and nobody will ever go. It's the place where you can hide in exile. I don't know where you're living today, but if it is in Lodabar, I want to tell you it's time to get out of there because God has promised you a future and a hope. He has promised you prosperity. He's promised you'll be the head and not the tail. Amen and amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. Lodabar. And I can imagine the nurse saying, now listen, you're going to hide here. Don't even show your face outside this house. Because if anybody sees you and recognizes you and knows who you are, the soldiers from the king will be around just tomorrow or that very same day. And you have a knock on the door and you will be sent to prison or you will be executed. So don't let anybody know who you are. Oh, that sounds like the devil talking to me. The devil doesn't want anybody to know who you are. The devil doesn't want you to know who you are. So you need to remind the devil and everybody else who's listening who you are. I'm a son of the king of kings. I'm a child of God. Amen. You don't speak Swahili? I thought I was speaking in the spirit and you could all understand me. <laughs> I'm a man of God. I love this program that we've just been looking at. Boys to men. We have an equivalent ladies one called. So lady. I like that. Boys to men and so lady. Hallelujah. Where we I show young men and young women who they are in Christ. And whatever benefit they've had, and many of them come from fine Christian families that are giving them everything they possibly can, others don't have that good start in life. But in the kingdom of God, we are equal before God, equal in the eyes of God. The Bible says, as Jesus is before the Father, so are we in the world. Hallelujah. Amen. And so... Something happened. The day came. There was a knock at the door. Mephibosheth looked out the window. And he said, the thing that I feared all my life has come upon me. They've come for me. The soldiers of David. And yes, they had. But Mephibosheth didn't know the covenant. That existed. He was terrified. He was terrified. He had no idea what was happening in the palace. 
He had no idea that David was looking for somebody to bless. He was looking for somebody who was included in this covenant that he could fulfill it. Is there anybody left of the house of Saul, Saul that I may show kindness to, to fulfill this covenant that I have for the sake of beloved Jonathan? He didn't know that. And I think that very few believers just know exactly how God is thinking about you. Right now, let's picture it this way. God is sitting in heaven. And what's he thinking about you? He's saying, oh, I noticed you put less in the offering this week than last week. Oh, oh but Jesus, there's, there's too much month at the end of the money. I'm not interested in that. Don't you know? They preach in Kensington Temple. Pay your tithes. You've got income tax, value-added tax. You have got capital gains tax. You've got tax on your tax. And now you've got church tax. Pay up. If not, I'll send the tax collector around and I will smite you. First, it'll be a pimple with a warning. Then it'll be a boil. Is that God? Is that God? Of course not. God isn't sitting in heaven looking for some reason to criticize you or to punish you or to whack you. He's a God of grace. And you say, well, all my sin, all your sin was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. There's nothing between you and him right now. The blood of Jesus has taken care of that. The same blood that washes you and cleanses you is the blood in which the covenant was written. I will bless you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Give him a big, a big praise right now. Hallelujah! Amen and amen. But Mephibosheth doesn't know the covenant. And evidently, he still doesn't understand when he's brought before the king. And he describes himself in front of the king. Oh, oh, I'm a dead dog. I'm announcing and it's official and you better do what I say today. Resign from the dead dog society. It's not for you. You are blessed of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Dogs. Do we know... How, how bad that is. What a dog. Do you, do you know? I think some of us Africans know. In our country, in England, come in, little doggy. <laughs> Sit down. Coochie, coochie, coo. Pet, pet, pet. <laughs> Not Africa. Not Africa. Dogs outside. Chickens. Okay, inside. Chickens inside, but no dog. So if you're a dog, you're outside. But he's a dead dog. That's very outside. I'm a dead dog. But David speaks to him. 2 Samuel 9, verse 7. I like it. 
Do not fear. Who am I speaking to today? What are you afraid of? God is with you. Who can be against you? Amen. Fear of judgment, condemnation. Finished. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear of God. Oh, yes, that's wonderful. Loving, respect, but fear. Fear of judgment? No. Fear of the devil? The devil's afraid of you because he knows who you are. He hopes you never discover it because you've discovered who you are. You can tell that devil to get the hell out of here. That's absolutely right. No, absolutely. I'm not swearing. I'm telling you it's truth. It's true. Isn't that right? You can tell the devil to go to hell. You can. I'm not swearing. I'm telling you the truth. Is that right? Do you understand that? Okay. Amen. And you have authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Because you are seated with Christ in heavenly places and he is exalted above every principality and power and name to be named. Hallelujah. He has authority over things in heaven, on the earth and under the earth and you are in him. Don't fear the devil. Amen. But sometimes that fear works on self-condemnation and rejection. Come on. You don't get it yet. You are accepted in the well-beloved. You are so welcome in Christ that the Bible says your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are untouchable. Amen. Hallelujah. Do not fear. For I will surely, everybody say surely. surely. Do you get this assurance? I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. God is saying, who is related to my son now? Who's in this covenant? Whatever generation. Oh, I see one. I see, you know, I see hundreds here today. So God says, it's wonderful. Come on, angels. Let's get ready. It's blessing time. Come on, it's, it's prosperity time. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about the richness and wealth of God in your spirit. And this kind of thing will bless you even when the circumstances are opposing you. Has anybody ever experienced an opposing circumstance in your life? <laughs> I think there's somebody, the Holy Spirit showing me, there's one person who's had an opposing experience in their life at one stage. Is that a prophecy? <laughs> no. It's obvious. But look at this. He says, not only will I show kindness to you, and that kindness was the kindness that he needed. What did, what did Mephibosheth need? Oh, well, Mephibosheth, it's nice to meet you. Congratulations. I just want you to have spared your life. Go back to Lodabar, please. No. It was a kindness that met his need. And God's kindness always meets your need. Whatever that need is, physical, mental, emotional, financial, God always meets the needs of his people because he has accepted you in the beloved and he will bless you for the sake of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's continue to read the verse. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, Wow, restoration. I like that. Whatever you might have lost, and you, you might have lost it because 
you were stupid. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? Sometimes what we lose, it's our own stupid fault. Amen? Sometimes people persecute us, not because we're anointed, but because we're ugly. I don't mean ugly on the outside. I mean, well, you, there's no ugly people on the outside. I'm talking about ugly here. If you behave ugly and they start persecuted, don't say, oh, that's proof I'm anointed. Pastor Colin said, when they persecute you, I'm anointed. I, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're not anointed. You're disappointed. That's, 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 the, that's the difference. So if they persecute you because you behave ugly, that's one thing. Or your circumstances are against you because you've been stupid, this still applies to you. Because I'm talking about God's grace. And I want to speak grace, grace, grace over every one of your lives. Grace. Grace be to you. Grace be multiplied. And I can speak that with authority because the Father is going to show kindness to you for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Restoration. What have you lost? It's coming back. What have you lost? It's going to recover. There is nothing that you have lost that is not beyond recovery. Amen and amen. You may have tripped or stumbled, but you will not be utterly cast down. The devil may have come in and stolen from you, but you can go to the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen from you. Oh, yes, you can. It's the covenant. It's the covenant promise of God. Hallelujah. Restoration, restoration, restoration over your life. Restoration. Nothing is irrecoverable because God is a God of restoration. And when He restores, He doesn't just put you back to where you were. He gives you more than you lost. Restoration with compensation. Hallelujah. Who am I speaking to this morning? And then finally he says, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. This is what it was about. This was a love-friendship relationship between David and Jonathan. And David was obligated to treat Mephibosheth in the same way as he treated Jonathan. God, in this covenant, has obligated himself to treat you in the same way as he treats Jesus. This is the second time I'm hearing this today because I preached it at 9 o'clock. And you notice I'm standing taller even than 9 o'clock. In fact, uh, oh yes, my feet are touching the ground. I, <laughs> this is going to change your attitude. And your attitude does determine your altitude. Amen. So this week's going to be a good week. Amen. All right. But the result, the conclusion of this is Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table as a prince amongst princes. And David's table was good. My table is good. My table, Colin Dye's household table is good. My wife doesn't put food in front of me that I don't like. She doesn't put creepy crawlies, crustaceans, and animals with 
far too many legs for their own good, <laughs> like octopuses, lobsters, crabs, shrimps, or prawns. So if you love that kind of stuff, that's your table, <laughs> not my table. She gives me the stuff that I like. And my table is full of good things. I have to say, stop, stop feeding me. Je ne veux pas grossir. I don't want to get fat. Stop feeding me. Imagine what God's table is. Who's sitting at the table? Mephibosheth. Find out. Cook, cook. Go and call Delia Smith. One of the Britain's famous cooks. Go get that. Who's that Hell's Kitchen guy? The man who needs some soap in his mouth. Huh? Gordon Ramsay, wonderful, wonderful man. Jamie Oliver, get them all together. One Michelin star, two Michelin stars, three Michelin stars. And I want you to gather around Mephibosheth and say, Mephibosheth, what are your favorite dishes? And I want you to give it, that to him every day. God is laden, God's table is laden with good things. He satisfies your mouth with good things. Amen. Feasting at the table of the Lord as a son of the king in the father's house is your inheritance. It's your right. Don't be missing at the table. Enter into the goodness of God and fellowship with him by the Holy Spirit and God will feed you and nurture you and sustain you and protect you and provide for you and give you dignity and your shame will be scattered. Hallelujah. Amen. So, this is the story by which the Apostle Paul is able to say, to the praise of the glory of His grace, you have been greatly blessed, highly favored, and you are deeply loved in the Beloved whose name is Jesus. Give Him a big praise right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen and amen.